Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Last week, we are in a Fight Club series. JD started it off. Uh, This series is a series about, we're talking about the things we shouldn't be talking about. And not necessarily shouldn't, but they're, they're things that ultimately we don't and the church doesn't discuss very often. Last week, JD actually talked about the demonic. And if you were here for that, it was exceptional. If you weren't, go listen to it. It was a very, very good message. I think we should have a part two of it because I think he only made it halfway through his message notes. So, uh, But it was very good. Today, I'm not talking about the demonic. I am actually talking about a word called mammon. Do you know what mammon is? Some people do. It's in the Bible. Jesus refers to it in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. It's pretty clear. You cannot serve both God and money, it says in one translation, but many say mammon. Mammon is, is simply, if you want to kind of break it down, it's just talking about your possessions, your, your earthly goods, your money, your property, your riches, the things that we have physically in our control that we steward and that we take care of. And so, you know, uh, if, you're come, if you came to church for the first time today, or you're listening online for the first time, or, or the first time in a long time, you're like, oh, great, that's exactly what I thought. The church just wants to talk about money. Well, we do want to talk about it because it's actually really important, but we want to talk about it from a biblical perspective. And we want to talk about it, we, we don't want a worldly perspective because let me tell you, the worldly perspective right now is pretty broken. I don't, I don't know the exact percentage uh, where people's uh, income is at the moment based on their spending, but I'm guessing their spending is, is working harder and out, outperforming their uh, their income. Most people would probably, I heard a stat, I think it was like 124% the average American lives at, which is quite a bit. So uh, I also want to give a quick disclaimer because it's kind of funny that uh, you get some of these topics to talk about. Uh, as a child, I was that crazy, I have a highly addictive personality. A very addictive personality. Amen. I got an amen from the front. Hey, it can be, it, it can be, it can be used in good as well. Uh, but I was that kid. I was the oldest of four. I would go to Chuck E. Cheese. I remember going to Chuck E. Cheese with, with my family. I remember going to uh, my second oldest brother, uh, my, my first, or my, my younger brother, but not the youngest, my brother Sean. And he, my brother Sean has always been this person who's very frugal, very put together when it comes to comes together financially. For myself, I was at Chuck E. Cheese, and I don't know what it's like anymore, but this is like, you know, 30-some years ago, and I was ravenously running around because you're playing all these games, and then you get these tickets. And I was just addicted to getting tickets. I didn't even care what they got me. I just wanted the tickets. Give me the tickets. So I was going to my brother Sean, and we all had weekly chores that we were responsible for. I told him, I will make your bed for a week if you give me these tickets. I will do this if you give me this. And I was going to my sister as well, and, trying, and I was getting more and more tickets. I don't even know what I bought, I just got tickets. More and more tickets. So I made a decision right then and there, gambling is not for me. So, so but ultimately when we're talking about, like I love things, and I love stuff. And I, if, 
If you gave me $1,000, I could spend it in probably 15 minutes in a mall. If you gave me 10 grand, give me an hour, it's gone. I'm just being honest. Now, I don't live that way, but if I were to be let free, if you will, I would be that person. So uh, I've had to learn many, uh, many lessons as, as, a, as a person who has a highly addictive personality who just wants to just go for it. All right, let's take a quick quiz. There's, I've got seven money personalities here, okay? You might be a couple of these, but you probably are going to identify with one of them here. So I'm going to go through seven money. I've, this, okay, before I start this, I'm just going to give a quick ex- explanation of what the overall morning is going to look like. I'm going to talk uh, practically a little bit. How do we practically steward and take care of what, what, what God's entrusted with us, uh, to us? And then, as well, I want to look at what does the Bible actually say about good management and how our heart is to be, uh, is to be towards uh, the resources that we have and the things that we have. So, ready for a quick quiz? Okay. Uh, there's seven personalities. I'll just go through them quickly. The first personality is the hoarder. Everyone or most people should know what a hoarder is. You take it. If someone's giving it away, you take it. If it's sitting on the side of the road, you take it. If it's anywhere, you just take it. It's like, you're just taking. Do you give it away? Heck no. Somebody, like, I'm just collecting and collecting, and you just begin to collect and collect and collect, the hoarder. Uh, not always. Sometimes it comes out of a, a, a lack uh, mentality where you haven't had a lot growing up, potentially, uh, or a fear of not having enough, so you're the hoarder, okay? Number two, the spender. Your credit card has a holster, and it's smoking all the time. You're pulling out... Tap 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 tap. Bye 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 bye. The spender, big spender. All right. So you got to reward yourself, and you start rewarding yourself for everything that you do. Man, I tied my shoes today. Reward, reward. Okay, big spender. The avoider. Okay. So you might spend money, but you have no clue what your bank account really looks like. You have no clue, did I pay taxes? Did I not pay taxes? I don't know. I might have. Uh, you just are going to avoid, I'll just keep living my life. I'm going to live in, just hopefully it all works out. You're the person who just sets sail, and you hope to get to the other side, and just wish me luck as I go. You have no plan. You're just avoiding it all. Now, here's another one. Uh, the manipulator. The person that has money, and, you know, they might, might buy something for someone or get something for someone or give something to someone, but there's strings attached. They want to be able to manipulate a little bit. Maybe I can get my hooks into this person this way or that. This person's a sneaky person, and they might come across looking like they're generous, but in fact, they're just trying to control. They're trying to control. Here's another one, the hater. Okay, they, they actually hate money because they've seen what money has done. That might seem like a foreign concept to some, but they've seen what money has done to wreck families, to destroy certain circumstances. Being used in place of affection, I'll just, someone just used money. Hopefully this can just cover my lack as a parent or my lack as this authority or this person in this person's life. And I'm, I'm just going to, hopefully this just does the trick. And people have been burned by that, and they just hate money. I don't even like money. Okay, two more. The show-off. 
They are just dripping with all the things. They have all the stuff on. Their vehicles are beaming. Everything that they have, they are a look-at-me type of person. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to have things, but this person, the show-off, is motivated by just getting some kind of approval. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm kind of a big deal is what they're trying to say without saying it from their mouth. They just say it with the things that they have. This person could be very wealthy. This person could be highly in debt, but they're the show-off. And then finally, the giver. The giver is the generous. The giver is the person that they use wisdom, but they, uh, they, they know where money has come from. They know where wealth has come from, and they love to give. Uh, they're generous with their money, and they show love for God with their money, and they show love for people with their money. It's just a simple tool in order to show people that they are loved, but you're not trying to buy them, Okay? All right. There we are. Where do you fall on the scale? You don't need to shout it out. You probably know if you're, if you're married or you're a couple or you have a parent. You, if, if you're a kid in the room and you know your parents, like you can try to guess what your parents are as well. We're all, we're all one of those, and we might be a combination of some. So that's just a little fun quiz to do at the start to think about. Um, now, I want to talk uh, about from a biblical, as a Christian, if you're a Christian in this room and a Christian is a pers- simply a person who said, uh, I, I am giving up my own right to living my life and I'm submitting it and surrendering it, surrendering it to Christ and now I'm choosing to follow Jesus and I'm choosing to follow the Bible and the teachings of the Bible. That's a Christian, okay? I want to follow Jesus. I surrender my life to him. So as Christians, um, you know, we want to look at biblical views to, to, to wealth, and what does the Bible say about um, um, different perspectives? So I've, there's three different perspectives. I've got lots of different lists today. So now we're on three different perspectives when it comes to possessions and wealth. Now, some of these are good and some of them are not. So the first perspective is, he, he, is, is what's mine is mine, okay? You find those types of people in the Bible. What's mine is mine. They're selfish people. You know, they could, they have the means to help their children, or they have the means to help their friend, or, or uh, they, they have the means to, to give generously to, to a person or a project or something that needs resource. They have the ability, but they say, nope, this is mine, I worked hard for it, and I am keeping it. What's mine is mine. Pro- Proverbs 1.19 says, And just a quick note as well, we will be firing through a bunch of Proverbs verses today too. Proverbs 119 says, Such is the fate of all who are greedy for for money. It robs them of life. Wow, that's pretty straightforward. They ultimately, a what's mine is mine person is a greedy person. They may be ruled by fear potentially that they might not have enough. Or uh, they may just think, I worked really hard for this, and this is mine, and that's that. But ultimately, they've got to lock down. They say, this is mine, and I control, okay? Ultimately, a Scrooge. Think of a Scrooge, okay? But you could have a poor version of a Scrooge, too. You could, you could be somebody who is highly either in debt, or you could just be hanging on for dear life, but you could just say, well, this little that I have is still mine, and no one's touching it, okay? Number two is, what's yours is mine. These are, the, these are the people that show up to the potluck without anything. 
These are the people that show up to the event that you were supposed to maybe, it'd probably be a good idea to bring something. You just don't. And you just take. And you feel this entitlement that it's mine. Hey, they've got it. It's mine. Now, this, this has nothing to do with enjoying the generosity of other people. It, deal, it has to do with a mentality that says, I deserve this. You know what? They worked hard. They've got more than enough. I hardly have enough. They should give to me. Proverbs 30.15 says, The leech, think of a leech, okay, weird little creature, whatever it is. The leech has two daughters. Give, 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 they cry, is what the proverb says. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. The leech is a sucker. It's sucking. It sucks the life. That's that type of person. What's yours? It's mine. And they are just looking to take, to take, to take, and there will never be enough because it's like trying to fill a bucket with water and it has a hole in it. Just keep on taking. Number three, what's mine is his. Okay? What's mine is his. This is, this is the true biblical perspective that as a Christian we should take on. Um, and, and ultimately, we were, when man was created, we were created to be stewards of this planet. God is the owner. We are the managers, okay? Proverbs 21, 26 says, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. So the biblical way God calls us to live, sorry, this is the biblical way God calls us to live. We are meant to steward and take care of everything that God has given to us. So we'll talk about this a little bit more, but think about your heart. When we think about you know, we've been talking about, you know, somebody like the taker and the, we had all those categories of just, you know, the seven different categories and you might be thinking, oh, I'm this person and this is how I behave. But ultimately, think about it for a second. Who are you inside in your heart? Who are you in, inside of your heart when you, when you relate to the things that you have? That's a question you need to ponder and you might need to take some serious time to think about it because it's a very serious question. If you have the mentality, what's mine is his, then I actually find there's a great freedom with it. Because it's like, oh, it's all his. Everything that I have in my life is his. And he's entrusted it to me? Wow, what a privilege. What a gift. It actually takes the pressure off sometimes. So if you assume that everything that you have belongs to God, then it will be much easier to give. Think about that for a second. Everything that you have belongs to God. All of a sudden, oh, this is not mine. This is, this is actually God's. God, do you need me to give this? Do you not need me to give this? It's actually a, it's a freeing thing because if he says give it, then you're like, great, I'll give it. Because it's not mine. It's yours and you're instructing me to do it. Here you go. So those are the three perspectives on wealth. Now, I want to zip into just a few other perspectives when it comes to the godly and ungodly that the Bible defines. There's two, there's four different, four different perspectives, two that are godly and two that are ungodly, okay? Are you guys tracking with me? Okay, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. Okay, here we go. Um, so, first of all, is the ungodly that are poor, Okay? You find in the Bible and you find in life, there's people that don't know God, they don't follow God, they don't care about God, and they are poor. 
they do not have very much resource in their life at all. They hardly have anything. Proverbs 10.4 says, Lazy hands make make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. So, not always, uh, but a common characteristic of of an ungodly poor person is that they are lazy. Not always, but they typically are looking for somebody to provide for them. And they're hoping that somebody can just bail them out, okay? So, but this ultimately, and it may be harsh to say, and I understand there's special circumstances, but overall, a lazy person is not a victim. They're just lazy. And they haven't been taught or maybe shown how to work. But ultimately, it says here in Proverbs 10.4, lazy hands make for poverty. If you're lazy, you're eventually going to make yourself to a poverty place in life. But diligent hands bring wealth. Okay, number two, let's move on to the godly that are poor. So there's godly people that are actually poor. They do not have a lot of resource. And, um, and that's, that's many different people. Um, Proverbs 28.6 says, Better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. So there's people who follow Jesus, love Jesus, and they do not have very much. And they are godly, wonderful, awesome people. Okay? So that's just another category. Let's move on to the ungodly that are rich. Okay? Seems like there's... uh, we get to see a lot of those when you, when you see into the world of social media. If you follow certain people and personalities who don't know God whatsoever, and they are flaunting everything that they have. Okay, and they have a lot. Uh, the, the ungodly that are rich, Proverbs fifteen twenty seven says, The greedy bring ruin to their households, but the one who hates bribes will live. So, ultimately... Um, these, the godly that are rich are people that love wealth, they love things, but they don't actually love people over those things. Does that make sense? They use money, okay, they don't use money to love people, they use people to make money. These are, again, these are generalizations, okay? There's, of course, special, special whatevers. You know what I'm about to say. I know what I'm thinking, I just can't get the words out. They're greed-motivated people, okay? Not God-motivated people. And then finally, there's the godly that are rich. Uh, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without pain, painful toil for it. This is the person whose first love is God, and their highest priority is to follow and honor God with their lives. Okay? So I've, I've, I've met many people, actually, who are ridiculously wealthy, and they are some of the most godly people that I know because... It's as if they've just opened themselves up as a channel, and they say, God, however you want to use me, use me, and lots seems to flow into their lives, and lots flows out of their lives, and it just continues to be this huge flow. But let me be clear. The goal is not to be godly and rich, okay? The goal is always to be godly. The goal is to be godly. God may cause you to be, uh, to, to, if he may, he may, your lot in life potentially may be to not have very much means. But we don't know what God wants to do with your obedient life to him, okay? 
You just got to remember that because sometimes I think for me, I think at least, it's like my goal is to be godly and rich. That is the ultimate goal. But the goal is to be godly, okay? Leave, re, leave the resource up to God, okay? Leave, leave, leave it up to God. Ultimately, we want to have a surrendered heart. And that's what we're talking about today. Our hearts that are really, truly surrendered to him. Okay, so now I want to talk a little bit about, and I know I'm kind of not necessarily bouncing around, but give, I want to give some practical, uh, talk practically just a little bit on how, just, just a simple, like I mean, you can listen to Dave Ramsey, and there are a ton of other great planners and helpful people out there that can help you plan in a godly way. But um, you have to ask, your question, uh, ask the question, do you have a plan for all the resource that God has put into your life? You either have a plan or you don't. And you might have like a sort of kind of plan, but ultimately you have to ask the question, do I have a plan? Um, Proverbs 21.5 says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but, but hasty shortcuts leads to poverty. Okay, Proverbs 15.22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. So you need to come up with a plan I'm not very smart financially, I will admit it. I have a bookkeeper that takes care of all my books, and then I have an accountant who is a wizard, and his, his name is Gandalf. No, I'm just kidding. No, but he's very, he's, he's, very, he's very wise. He's up to date on everything that he does. He's got a whole team around him, and he handles my finances that way. And, that, and more recently, I've entered into a stage where, you know, for myself and my wife, we've, we've started to make some investments. I don't know how to make investments. I just want to swing for the fence all the time. So I have, I, I have a person with a team around him as well that helps make investments. And I get wise counsel from this individual and that individual and other individuals. Am I perfect? By no means. But I look to surround myself with wise people. Proverbs uh, 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do. Whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. God has a plan for your life, and you should have a plan too. Okay? And so, um, ultimately, getting a plan isn't, and I think in our North American mindsets, lots of times we just try to keep to ourselves. There would be, there would be many people that would be, love to help and share and encourage what God's done in their lives and maybe share some of the mistakes they've made as well. And so uh, you do need to get a plan, okay? So now I'm going to talk about four rules for spending. If you need to, and these are in order, okay? These are four rules for spending. This is more of an overview, and then you can do a deep dive in lots of these areas as well. So the first way that we use the physical money that comes into our lives is we pay God and the government, Okay? You might not like that second G word. You might not. I have a hard time at sometimes saying, I don't really want to pay the government. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, fruits of all your crops. So when you honor God, when we're talking about honoring God, we've, talked, we've heard Pastor Mike and Monica and others talk about the tithe. Um, this is not going to be a long world talking about the tithe. The tithe is 10%, but, you know, there's many different viewpoints of, of, you know, being, giving to God, 
And when we talk about the tithe, we're talking about giving to a local church. So if this is your church home, this is where you contribute 10% of what you make. That 10% might be a whoa if you're new to church. Um, Ultimately, there's lots that we can talk about in regards to that. But you give to God. You honor God with all the abundance that comes in. The first thing you do is say, God, this is yours anyway, and I honor you and I give back to you. That's the number one. Uh, The second thing is taxes. Honor the government. Now, ultimately, I do believe you can have wise people to help you still keep as much as you possibly can in your household. That's why I have an accountant, because I would probably not be able to keep nearly as much as I do without a good accountant. But um, ultimately, it's not about, look, fine, just take it. We're trusting that, God, you want to use the resource that you put into my hands, and I will gladly give it back. I will joyfully give it back in an act of worship to the government. That's a hard sentence to say sometimes, but it's something that we need to resolve in our hearts. God, I trust that you are bigger than a tithe amount. I trust that you are bigger than uh, taxes. I trust that you're bigger than anything there, and I trust you. So that's the first thing, God and government. Number two is expenses. Now, typically, housing is the most expensive thing a person is going to have to pay for. Typically, not always. These are generalizations. Then usually transportation, some mode of transportation. Uh, then you've got your food, which actually might move to the very front now when you're paying $7,000 for like a cheeseburger at McDonald's. And then you've got insurance. So ultimately, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a young person, you might like, I'm going to get to you right away. But if you're a young person, trust me. You might not know what these things are yet, but they will be hitting you in the face very strongly. Did anyone move out of their parents' home and get a very sharp and brisk slap on the face from the world saying, wowzers, yeah, wowzers. (laughs) It costs that much for this? Yeah. So we want to make sure that our expenses are covered. Proverbs 22, 26 says, do not be be one who shakes hands in pledge, in, in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Let's not put things on credit, okay? Let's just not do that. Yeah, like, you can pay payments for, like, guitar strings now at a guitar store, I swear. It's like, I don't know, it's just crazy. Every, it's, yeah, you can, pay, you can do payments for everything. If you can't afford it, just wait. Just wait, okay? Uh, Number three is savings, okay? You pay God, you pay the government, you take care of your your immediate needs as as an individual or as a family, and then you begin to save, okay? In an ideal world, financial planners invite you to try to get six months of your living expenses in a separate saving account where you can easily access it. That might seem like a very astronomical thing for for it is, I think, for many people, I heard a stat that, that if someone had an extra, an American had an extra $400 payment, they could not afford it in, in, in their budget. If all of a sudden 400 bucks came up, they would be like, I don't know what to do. That's not very much in savings. And number four, and I'm way, Haley's about to start playing the piano. I'm going to take three extra minutes because we took a shorter time today, so I'm just letting you know that. Number four is investments, okay? You give to God, you give to the government, you take care of your household needs, you start saving a bit, and then you begin to invest. 
And um, I love this. A good person, and this is in Proverbs 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. That's your own grandchildren. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker? I'm spending my grandkids' inheritance. That's a terrible, that's terrible, I think. If you loved your kids and you love your family, wouldn't you want to invest into them as well? So you want, to, you want to plan. And so here it is. As a young person, you need to make sure that you clean the ears out really well. There is something called compound interest. Okay? You might not understand what that is. Talk to your parent. Come talk to me if you need to. Compound interest could be your greatest friend as a young person. If you begin to save as a young person, does not need to be a lot. Just a little bit regularly, over and over and over. Did any adults like see this when they were 35 years old and cried a little bit? You're like, like a 35-year-old cannot catch like a 13 or 14-year-old. Impossible unless you like somehow won the lottery or had like a massive amount of money. Young people, start to save for your future because God wants to use you and if you use wisdom now, man, what could he do with all the resource that is built up? What could he do with you? All right. Oh, what a beautiful piano bit there, Haley. You're so gorgeous. That's my daughter, by the way. Yeah, just to clarify. I've got one other daughter here, one other daughter here, a son right there, and a gorgeous wife. Okay. Let me just quickly give you three reasons for Christians to, to live generously, okay? This first one is so powerful. God takes our worst and gives us his best. We want to talk about investments. One of the most famous scriptures in all of the Bible, John what? 3.16. For God so loved that he gave. Think about this. We were wretched. We were actually disgusting. Trapped, lost, broken in our sin. And God says... I will trade you righteousness. I will give you my righteousness if you give me all of your sin. You want to talk about the greatest investment of all time? You know, I've heard it said before, you know, how much should I give? Well, God wants 100% of your sin. And he will give you 100% of his righteousness. And when you begin to understand that beautiful exchange, when you begin to understand that you were actually wretched, you were broken, you were lost, you were so gross. Think of, like, well, don't, you can if you want. If you think of the grossest thing you can think of, you were t a million times worse than that. And God says, I will trade you that grossness for my beauty, for my holiness, for my purity. And this is not just an earthly exchange. This is the greatest exchange that you could ever make because this goes on for eternity. 
That is incredible, I think. So what does, it, what does that cost you? It costs you 100% of your sin. That's what it costs you. And before God wants your money, he actually wants your sin. He wants to take it. And before God wants your best, he actually wants your worst. He just wants the worst of you. That's a crazy thing to think about. I think it's, it's the ultimate exchange and return on investment right there. If you want to talk about a return on investment, you will never exceed that. The second thing here is that your wallet is God's scalpel for heart surgery. Think about that. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart internally, internally follows where you invest. It just does. It just, if you invest into something, your heart's in, if you invest into something, are you like, oh, whatever. You're checking those investments regularly. I wonder how it's doing. I wonder what's happening. If you don't have a heart for someone right now, it could even be your spouse. That might be a harsh thing to say. Start investing into them. Why don't you plan a very expensive date? Plan it out. Whatever you spend, your heart follows. If you want to have a heart for your kids, be generous towards your kids. If you want to have a heart for your church, be generous towards your church. It's just how it works. I didn't make it up. It's just what God has, has planned. And the final thing is you cannot take it with you. However, when, when, when that trumpet sounds and Jesus comes riding in on the clouds, I'm not going to be like, oh, hang on for a second. I'm going to grab my Ferrari. It's not going to work. You can't take it with you. It all turns to rust and moth destroy. Think of, think of the finest home that you can imagine. Some of you dream of homes. and like, I want that home so bad. And I'm not saying having a dream is bad. I'm not saying having a nice home is bad. But that home will not come with you. Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says, Don't store up treasures on earth where moth, moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal where your treasure is. There the desires of your heart will be also. Did you know that there is an investment that you can make and I don't fully know how this all works, but we can actually store up in an account in heaven. There's an account in heaven for each one of us that we can actually store up in. And we'll unpack that another another date. But, <laughs> but you can do that. So as I wrap up here, I want to just read one, uh, two last scriptures. The first one is 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10. And I believe that this is the, the, the posture and the heart posture that we, should, that, that we are encouraged to have as Christians. It says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Great wealth. True godliness with contentment is in itself great wealth. After all, uh, we brought nothing with us and when we, when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. 
But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Isn't that true? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You've maybe heard that misquoted where it says, money is the root of all evil. It's actually not true. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Ultimately, we are called to live fully satisfied lives in Christ. God, I am content with the little. I am content with the much. I am content with the whatever you place in my hand because all I want is you above everything else. All I want is you to direct whatever comes into my life. I want you to be the director and the leader of that. And finally, as we stand together, I want to invite you to stand. And we're just going to take a moment and pray together in just a few, few seconds here. But in Matthew 7, 13 to 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate. Have you ever been in the mountains hiking? Have you been up on that close to the ridge and you're getting close? And this is a single track only, people. This is narrow. There's not 15 people wide on this track. There's one person, and you're staying pretty close to the mountainside, not the edge side. Think about that for a moment. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There is an invitation from our God to live a narrow road life. And we give this invitation every single week, and I'm about to give it again for people, as I talked about before, for people to surrender 100% of their sin to God. Imagine, you know, when you, when you make a true investment, uh, a financial investment, you sit down with an investor and there's all this contract, there's all this paperwork, and eventually at the very bottom or there's different pages, you eventually you sign and say, yep. Yeah, I'm agreeing to this. That's what this prayer actually is. It's a prayer that you're actually in your heart, you're saying, God, I agree to this. I agree that my ways, this broad road that I've been living on, God, this way that I've been just trying to follow every single way of the world, it's broken, it doesn't work, it's not happening for my life. And God, I wanna surrender and I actually wanna live on this narrow road. God, whether I am poor or rich, it doesn't matter, God. Whether I have much or little, it doesn't matter. I want you, God, and I want to surrender my life to you and trust and follow you. So just in these moments, I want to lead us all through this prayer, and you can, we're going to say it out loud together. We do this every week, as I mentioned, and if you want to say this prayer together with me um, for the first time or the first time in a long time, it's a prayer of surrender. And it's a prayer of just saying yes to the ways of Jesus. You can, you don't have to raise your hand or do anything. You can just pray it out with all of us as, uh, and pray it to God from your heart. So let's pray together. Let's say, God, I thank you for your extravagant love. I thank you for trading all my worst for all your best. God, I surrender 100% of my sin, and I receive your righteousness, your forgiveness, your holiness, your rightness, God. And I thank you 
that from today, I am a Christian, and today, I give you praise in Jesus' name, and all God's people said together, amen. Come on, let's give him some praise this morning. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.